Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You built a time machine? What of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. That's hot. Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary. Monday, May 10th. And welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, folks. The voice of young adults with cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, an OMG Summit preview on sex and relationships with panelist Tamika Felder, a young adult cervical cancer survivor, founder of Tamika and Friends, Johnny Immerman, young adult survivor of testicular cancer and the founder of Immerman Angels, and Dr. Sage Bolte, oncology counselor, at Life with Cancer and Nova Health Systems in Fairfax, Virginia. As a reminder, this broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation on the web at i2y.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day. The Stupid Cancer Show would like to welcome our newest sponsor, Spencer's Gifts, because we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. Why? Because survival rates and quality of life in young adults have not improved in 30 years. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I am Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. <clears throat> Please welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from right here in New York City, a 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide, and former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the lovely and talented Lisa Bernhard. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Matthew. I understand that you're calling in tonight because I don't see you here in the studio. Yes, I'm calling from the satellite office in the beautiful Hudson Valley. Uh, we have a show about sex tonight, and I would be there, but uh, I can't talk about sex while looking at Jack Buffard. Hey, now. <laughs> ah, so well said. Am I allowed to speak before my introduction? Because in a remote, remote location. But, Lisa, you see, I'm under the impression that you're a professional journalist, 
and you should be able to control your feelings to me for me while doing a radio show. So that's crap that you're not here tonight. That was that was your first mistake to be under that impression, particularly since I've joined this show. Well, I'll put my shirt back on then. Oh boy. All right. Well, seeing, seeing as how he already pre-introduced himself, I will not introduce the chief cancer anarchist. But I'm here and vice president of grassroots programming. Hi, Jack. Hi, Matthew. Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room, so if you have any questions for our guests, shoot him his way. There's a chance he might just pay attention to you. And, of course, joining us live in the studio tonight, our fabulous broadcast production assistant, young adult survivor Amanda Freeman. Hello, gorgeous. Thank you, Matt. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. You got all gussied up for us. I did. You know, I thought it was time for me to get out of the blue jeans and the converse. Oh, you she, got heels. She gets gussied up tonight. I'm not there. I know, Lisa, you're missing it. I'm wearing high heels for the first time in a year and a half. She looks great in heels, i got to tell you. Wow. Wait, so, wait, Amanda, so are you dressed up because you're interested in me? <laughs> in your dreams. That would be very interesting, uh, wouldn't yeah. it? Jack, well, we know, have... Have a vice, Jack has a vice president uh, title now. He's got to keep things in line. That is true. Yeah, and you know what? Yesterday, um, I was in San Francisco over the weekend. I met up with a bunch of i 2 wires yesterday, and Mary Love question my business card that it's only vice president and that it should be SVP for senior vice president. So she wanted to know who I report to other than the CEO. Like, like which, which senior vice president do I report to? You only report to the CEO. Okay. So we then have I should no be senior vice president. Right. So then I should be a senior vice president. You know what? I want to be, just, I want to be as high up on the food chain as possible. Listen, you know what? We just um, we, we forgot to tell you this, but we've just re- uh, promoted Amanda to senior vice president, so you now yes. report to her. You report to Amanda. Wait, so I just hit on my boss? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some very, very special guests here tonight in studio. Coming all the way from Australia, fans of the show, they run a great organization for young adult survivors in Melbourne. Uh, I'd like to introduce Jade McKenzie and Paul Bancroft. Hello, Jade. Hello. How are you? Oh, God, I love that accent. <laughs> uh, I don't hear accent. it. Yeah, you don't hear it. You're my Brooklyn accent. Yeah, yo, what's going on? <laughs> well, welcome to the States. Thank you. Such it's a pleasure to here. have you drop by. Our fir- they're not our first international guests, are they? But they're our favorite. They are. Can you just say stupid cancer in, like a no- in a Nicole Kidman type of way? Um, stupid cancer, but I don't know how Nicole Kidman talks. <laughs> I don't know, but that sounded much better than anything I've ever heard Nicole Kidman say. <laughs> but we, tell us a little about the uh, organization you work for in, in uh, Australia. Okay, I work for the Warwick Foundation, and they're the only organization in Australia who looks after young adults. So we look at supporting 18 to 40-year-olds with cancer down under. That's fantastic. <laughs> And uh, there are partners in crime down there because we uh, we yeah, love them and they love us. Because, um, yeah, this definitely. is the sex show, and we're, so we're actually talking about a lot of things down under. But I'm Chad. Thank you very much. Oh, that gets one of these. That sounds good to me. Oh boy. <laughs> so speaking of down under, our, our our fabulous chief token Jewish intern Anna Brower is in the house. Oh, she's on the couch. Yes, and. She questioned, you know, because we refer to Australia as down under, so she was wondering if Aussies refer to the United States as up and over. (laughs) (laughs) No, up top. Oh, up top? Is that what it is? No, up and above. Up and above. Up above. Down under, up above. Like proximal and distal? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jade, answer the question. Do you refer to America as anything other than up above? Um, We never say that ever. 
See? <laughs> All right, Amanda gets a wah, 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 wah. We just you mean Anna, right? Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was Anna, not Amanda. I confuse them all the time. You're going to strangle her with the... All right. I need a longer neck. That's <laughs> because oh, she's attached to her husband, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the two-headed monster on Sesame Street. Is it? <laughs> Near? Far? No, it's Grover. I don't know. Never mind. Super Grover. Well, well I'm, I'm, you should know this stuff, though, because you're a dad now. Yeah, I am a dad. But anyway, it's, it's really uh, fantastic to come here. I'm so glad you had the opportunity to stop by and... Uh, and break some bread with us. Oh, no, thank you for having us. Well, you'll say goodbye at the end of the show, but we're, we're really thrilled to have I2Y Australia represented here <laughs> from the uh, Warwick Foundation. Good stuff, guys. Thank you. All righty. So, um, Good day. <clears throat> anyway. <sighs> so what's going on in the world? We have a, a nice uh, break. Our, our, um, our guests tonight are coming in on a roundtable at 9.30, so we have... Sweet. You know, a, a good uh, 20 minutes here to catch up and talk about all sorts of baby-changing diaper stuff and ridiculous news reported on Facebook and uh, basically the, the travels of the Boofmeister all across the country here and uh, his pending trip to Barcelona this yeah. weekend. You know, I, I didn't realize it until I was on my flight back this morning, but I was in Los Angeles last weekend. I was in San Francisco yesterday and Saturday night. I was literally in San Fran for 31 hours, so I wouldn't say I was there for the weekend. But So it was L.A. last weekend, San Fran this weekend, and Barcelona, Spain next weekend. I think my body is just going to collapse because my body has no idea what time it is. Well, How is that different than any other day of the week? Well, no, say, usually yeah. it's my brain that doesn't know what time it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> But it was a good time, and I want to thank everybody, uh, especially Valerie Gallo and Aaron, for hosting me. And uh, I got to meet up with some I2Wires yesterday, and we had like a last-minute notice Stupid Cancer Happy Hour, and uh, six to eight people came out. No, and that's great. It was good. We like San Francisco. Hello to any San Francisco people out there. We love your city. I love your city. Val's in the chat room. And because Val's in the chat room, Matt, I have a message for you from her. Yeah, which is? We know how much you love your kids. My my one-week-old children? Yes. Yes. And you know how there's always that person on Facebook that posts the videos and the pictures and, like, the little quotation marks on the baby photos? Like, you mean, like, everything I've been doing for the past week? Yes. You turned into that guy? I'm that person. So Val told me to tell you, and she says this with a lot of love, but she's given you six months of leeway. And then after six months, we're going to start, she's, she and myself are going to start calling you out on the, okay, enough is enough. No, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. And if you notice today, I was having a conversation with people a lot. How do I sort of uh, separate the content that I like to provide to our, our, our um, fans and friends across the world uh, in, from the cancer and healthcare space with my babies puking on me? And I pretty much made a decision that during work hours I will post the standard stuff people come to expect from me, uh, such as, uh, <clears throat> <laughs> all right, Val, I'll get back to you in a minute. <laughs> but uh, during the work day, I'm going to post the standard stuff, and I, I did bring up a couple of the things I posted, that there's an increased incidence in stomach cancer in Gen Y because of crap you, we eat and drink during the, during the year and every day, whatever that nuclear facilities are now causing cancer in young people, that um, the American Cancer Society hates gay people, according to the LGBT Cancer Project, uh, which is interesting, um, 
that uh, there was another one here that, uh, where is it? Oh, uh, artificial sweeteners now don't cause colon cancer, but they did last week, and they probably will again next week. So I'm going to be balancing out the best that I can, the professional content during the day, and all the, the baby stuff you can choose to ignore uh, on the off hours and the weekends. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy it, and we do love your children. But so. the thing is, Matt's off hours, Matt doesn't sleep. So Matthew's off hours go from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> right. So I do think now that the baby pictures um, up against each other do now stretch, I would say, six times around the globe if you were to lay them side by side. Right? They've easily doubled in a week. Yeah, I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, if you laid them all out next to each other. But I have been a parent for a week. I have to send out special props. My wife, my wife's in the chat room. Hello, baby. She's not busy. <laughs> She's doing something. Your mother-in-law must be over. <clears throat> no, I have to. I have to give a special global props to my mother-in-law for for spending the time, uh, spending the last week in our apartment, helping to diffuse uh, some of the potential and utter insanity that could have happened. Um, obviously, having twins, anyone out there that has twins or let alone one kid. Uh, we'll know how difficult and challenging it can be the first couple of weeks. I know exactly what you're going through because I was at my brother's house the other day playing with my nephew, and for the entire two hours that he was with me, I was really, I was really worn out. Yes. So I went home. That's well, fantastic. You know, I have to say, getting back to the show, Matthew's the only one that we can testify as having some sort of idea about sex because he has twins to show for it. The rest of us, who knows? That's right. Yep. It's the ambiguously so, gay duo. Well, I am ready to get to the sex show and let the poison out. What? <laughs> I'm ready to get the hey poison now. out. Oh no! All right. Hey now. And and why 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 is that? Well, because if I can't get it, I should at least be able to talk about it. So we have to get the poison out. We got to get the poison out. Okay. Let's get the show on the road. All right. Hey now. There we go. All right. Happy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. I think Jack's poison, though, is particularly toxic. <laughs> well, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Is cancer contagious? <laughs> According to some people. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, anyway. Matt, yeah. you know how we're in the business of uh, fielding questions from the chat room and bringing them onto the show? Yeah, I know. I saw that Valerie asked me about diapers.com. And I have to tell everybody that diapers.com is not a sponsor, but they're really fabulous. Okay, but there was also another comment about questioning how come your babies do not have their own Facebook pages yet. You know, it's funny. My friend, Dr. Jennifer Stein, who's been on the show many, many yes, times. Yes, love her. The, um, dermatologist of the stars. She's always on, like, Extra. Yep. It was National. CBS Ant. News. Yeah, she's fantastic. ABC. She has a beautiful son named Joshua who has his own Facebook page that he's two years old. Well, do you know that um, we haven't really talked about this, but you know that Lance Armstrong's having another baby? Another one? Yeah, as of, like, two weeks ago. Is it with What's-Her-Face? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So Lance is having baby number, like, 45 or something. He's actually competing with the Octomom quite well. <laughs> oh, no. But uh, only he's not doing it all at once. But anyway, you know how Lance uses Twitter for, like, everything. Well, didn't his baby have a Twitter feed while in utero? Yes, Max did Max have a Twitter. Did, yeah. Right. Now, this baby, wh whom he just announced a pregnancy of, like, three weeks ago or two weeks ago, already has a Twitter page. And last check, which was probably Wednesday, Thursday last week, the baby, the unborn baby who's only like a month in utero, has over 3,000 uh, Twitter followers. That's just not right. See, a right, Jew, so Jews would never do this. 
This go is ahead. bad. This is bad karma. Sorry, Lise. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I was going to say. First of all, why is it Lance is a testicular cancer survivor on our sex show tonight? Why didn't Why didn't we get him? Because it's not alpha male hump everything you can find show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, that, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to wait. We'll do that show this summer. No, you can't get Lance. You have to pay Lance a hundred thousand dollars to do anything these days. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, we were hoping to get him for OMG. Yeah, right. Hundred thousand dollars. That's what he Maybe wanted. Maybe we could blackmail him. I'll come up with something with my celebrity pals. We'll, we'll get him on that way. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think between you, me, and Jack, we're Lance. We're the Lance of the Stupid <laughs> it, Cancer Movement. It takes, a, it takes the three of us, yeah. When I saw how much, uh, you know, like who Lance was dating and how many kids he was pumping on, I started riding a bike just in case. You know, <laughs> it would get me somewhere. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So, anyway, just going back to uh, what is going on, um, I wanted to briefly talk about the fact that the OMG Summit is but one week and three days away, or one week and four days away. And yeah. we, are, we are actually, we've been at capacity, we've been at 400, uh, including all the people that basically said they, uh, they can no longer come. We opened up the waiting list, and we're still at almost 400 people that are confirmed to be there. So this is going to be one of the most extraordinary events in the history of young adult cancer advocacy and I couldn't be more proud of all the people that are helping us out of volunteer-wise, all of our sponsors that are contributing hand over fist. Is that the expression? Hand over fist is uh, people like, oh, no, that's making make money hand over fist. No, they're, yeah. they're, they're, well, they're helping out insanely. There's, the cross hands, from, there's, there's all hands on deck. That's, that's what it is. There you go. Yeah. It's just fantastic. It's, it's really been, and I'm so low stress about it because we've got great volunteers. Everything's been incredibly organized and well strategized. Everything's been paid for. So it's it's just it's just fantastic, and I'm I'm so excited for it. And again, tonight's show is all about a tribute to the OMG uh, Summit. Last week's show, tonight's show, and next week's show will feature three of the panels, three of the panels, and the, the panelists on those panels. On last week was employment insurance. Yep. Tonight is sex and relationships, and next week is onco fertility. Oh, I'm so, gonna miss next week's show. Yes, you will. I'll be in Spain. You'll be in Barcelona. Miss, uh, can I say something? Because I've gotten wonderful emails from people and Facebook messages of folks saying, can't wait to meet you at the OMG Summit. Really? Because I haven't gotten any of those. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to say, and I've been writing people back, unfortunately, uh, I hooked up with these two clowns, my co-hosts, before uh, I had a, a trip out of the country booked before the OMG Summit. So sadly, very sadly, uh, I will not be there, but happily I will be sailing the Caribbean. But sadly, I will not be at the OMG Summit. So uh, I'll have to catch up with you all at uh, other events. Come to the Ungala. Yeah. But I'll be at the Ungala. The Ungala in June, which we just launched the Facebook well, page which for. Is, yeah, which is my yeah. second announcement tonight, which is I'm really proud to announce the launch of our fourth annual Stupid Cancer Ungala which is our no black tie, no ice sculpture, no fancy schmancy nothing, no annual pants. fundraiser, <laughs> pants optional for no, the no, Picard no, family. No, wait, 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 wait. No, there's no fancy schmancy. Oh, forget about that. I'm not going to that either. <laughs> That's okay. Just go back no, to the I'll Caribbean the or something. I'll be at the Ungala. Yes. Just yes. dock your boat next to the Intrepid and come on over to the Ungala. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, the Ungala is our annual no black tie, no ice sculpture uh, get-together. It's a young professional's mixer we raise between... Twenty and thirty thousand dollars every year, and uh, three to four hundred people come to this great, huge, lofty lounge in Chelsea, 
and uh, we just have a great party. We got drink specials this year. It's a $30 admission and an $80 open bar for the whole night. And I don't think you could find a better deal than that in New York City for a charity event uh, anywhere in town. But the website is ungala.i2y.com. We launched it today across all sorts of social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Upcoming, Charity Happenings, Yelp, Craigslist, and, um, and a couple of others. And uh, if you cannot come to New York or you don't live in New York and you can't make it, we are encouraging people to kindly consider becoming an angel sponsor for $30. Sound like we're on a PBS Jerry Lewis special. Yeah. For just thirty dollars, you know, one easy payment of thirty dollars, the Sham Wow guy will come to your house. <laughs> and Actually, the Sham Wow guy is picking up all the oil in the Gulf. Yes, yeah, he, he is. You see that on uh, Saturday Night Live? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the weekend update jokes. Was yeah. like because that that the that, pipe that, the, that the, hood or whatever yeah. it is wasn't working, so they send the Sham Wow guy. Exactly, exactly. So if you cannot come to the OM the Ungala on June 10th here in New York. Please consider becoming a $30 angel partner so we can add all that money up into a little pot and offset the cost of bringing in a lot of inpatients from the local cancer centers to this event for free. So once again, that website is ungala.i2y.com, and uh, any and all $30 angel sponsors will be incredibly appreciated. Thank you so much for your considerations, and we will be plugging the crap out of this event Every Monday until June 10th. Yes. And for Val Gallo, who probably won't come to, from San Francisco, just send me $80 and I'll get my open bar and have a good time without yeah. you. Sponsor Jack. It's Sponsor Jack Buffard Night. Yes. <laughs> and I don't even drink that much. That's fine. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> what's going on, Lise? What's going on with me? Yeah. Uh, I saw um, American Idiot this weekend. That's not cancer news. Oh, that's the uh, that's funny because I'm sitting next to one right now. <laughs> Don't make fun of Amanda like that. I, I Sorry, Amanda. I couldn't use that line because again, I'm not in studio, Jack. Next right. To you. Um, so for all our uh, young adult audience out there who's our, our Green Day fans, uh, I saw the Broadway show uh, this weekend, uh, which was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Is pretty it the new show. Rent? I've heard it being called the new Rent. Yeah, I mean, in that it addresses that sort of an audience, and it's got it's it's. I mean, it's got Green Day's music. Rent, I still has some sort of Broadway showy tunes to it. And, although I like the Rent music a lot. Right. Um, this is just it's it's you know it's an entirely Green Day score. It doesn't have a lot of dialogue. It kind of has a storyline that the music follows, but it's basically like a rock you know it's a rock opera that's kind of all just one song after the next. Um, fantastic staging though. Amazing talent. Um, it was great. It was really great. So uh, that was my. Uh, you know, I met Jonathan Larson once before. You know, he passed away yeah. from um, an embolism or something. He's um, right. He's the guy who wrote Rent. Yeah, I, I met him when I was a sophomore in college. My friend Mary uh, tried out for the role of. Um, oh, I forgot the name. Um, there, there were two. Uh, there's a, there are two lesbians in the, in the show. What? In Rent. In Rent. Uh, I, I Joanne? Yeah, Joanne, Joanne. The one yeah. that sings, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm so out of it from the Rent days, but I, I went to... Oh, I got 21 guns in my head by Green Day. <laughs> yeah. I went to see Rent, and um, like during before previews, because my friend Mary was trying out for auditions, um, they eventually went with Carol Burnett's daughter instead, and Mary lost the part. But I have... Oh, yeah. And I'm a musical theater nerd. I was majoring in musical theater and, and all the other stuff in college as an undergrad. This is before I got sick. 
And I just have to say one thing about Rent. There's one lyric in the entire show of Rent that bothers me. The rest of the show is sheer brilliance. It's Take Me or Leave Me. That's the song you're thinking of. Yeah, Take Me or Leave Me. That's Exactly, exactly. Um, there's one lyric in the entire show that I just take umbrage with, and it's only because they were trying to stretch one word over a series of rhythms, and the word, it's like they go rent, 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 and it bothers me that they do it like that. Well, rent, 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 rent. Yeah, that's, it's the first song where it's like, uh, we're not going to pay, we're yeah, not going to yeah. pay. It's like rent, 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 we're not going to pay rent. Exactly. Something like that. Well, you know what, you know what, Matthew? I have to pick up on something that you said in telling that story in that you said Carol Burnett's daughter. So, you know Carol Burnett's daughter, and I'm assuming this is the one you talked about, although I don't know that she was ever in the Broadway production of this. Are you talking about a regional production or are you talking about the Broadway production? No, this is the Boston production. Oh, Boston. Okay. Because Carol Burnett's, one of her daughters, um, who was named Carrie Hamilton, uh, died of young, uh, lung cancer when she was 38 years old. Yes, yes, I'm aware of that. Yeah, just, just to our young adult survivor audience here. And actually, and I I became an entertainment journalist because I grew up back in the day when the Carol Burnett Show was on the air, which probably a lot of our listeners don't even remember, um, if you're sort of under 30. But um, she has uh, a book out now, and she, there's a chapter, um, which I just somebody just gave me as a gift. She has an autobiography out now. And there's a chapter in there dedicated to Carrie. It's just called Obituary, and it's got her daughter's obituary in there. And um, and it has her feelings of being a parent of somebody who lost um, a child uh, as a young adult to cancer. And uh, it's funny because I've interviewed Carol Burnett and I've thought about kind of reaching out to her and having her, you know, potentially get involved with us if she could. And also you and I have talked about, Matthew, that upcoming um, at some point we will be doing a show talking about the parents of young adult survivors and what does it mean to care for a young adult and how does that relationship shift when you're raising somebody who's either just out of the house or about to leave the house and then needs care because they're going through um, cancer just brings up all sorts of interesting topics so absolutely all this is to say there was an interesting you know backstory there which um, sadly she lost her daughter to lung cancer and uh, and for folks to, uh, to to keep watch for when we do that show, because I think that'll be a great show. And she was a non-smoker, too, I believe. She was a non-smoker, uh, that's right, and um, she she was. I mean, she had had some, you know, very public drug problems when she was a kid, but I don't, um, you know, I'd have to actually, I'd have to double-check the smoking on, on that. She might have done that at some point, because she did have, when she was much younger, had some drug problems, but she had, she had survived those, gotten past those, and was... Uh, clean and great and, and doing having a great life as a performer and uh, anyway very sad to um, to die that young but um, so anyway so we'll be doing we'll be doing that show on parents coming up definitely an underrecognized uh, population out there that needs support that doesn't have it yep. parents of stupid cancer that's right yeah well let's get not to the parents d- of stupid kids <laughs> no that's no. your show Jack <laughs> I don't have kids <laughs> no you're that's, that's yeah. Big Papa Buffard's show. Yeah. Hey, leave my brothers and sisters out of this. <laughs> All right, let's hit the news here and get to our guests. Ready? Here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we listen to Jack Buffard stammer. To receive a special announcement to let our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff you might otherwise not know about. 
We don't want you missing out on free young adult special events like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, parties, music concerts, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like our audience to know about during this segment, please send an email to Jack Buffard. His email is jack at i2y.com. That's jack at i2y.com. Take it away. Thank you, Matthew. I'm going to keep this short and sweet so we can get to the sexy talk. But your first stop for your stupid cancer news is events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is your one-stop shop for all stupid cancer events happening nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out on it, especially if I'm not going to be there. 70k.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet this underserved population. Being that I lack both the time and the intelligence to share with you all the great stuff we have going on for young adults, I've created the Booth News Blog. Everyone needs to check out boofnews.i2y.com. That's B-O-O-F.i2y.com for the official list of all stupid cancer news resources. These resources include surveys, exercise programs, writing workshops, peer services, and fertility resources. You can also check out campdream.org and firstdefense.org to find out what young adult excursions are available to you, whether it's kayaking, rock climbing, or just a fabulous week in Missoula, Montana. Head on over to campdream.org and firstdefense.org. And that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. Alrighty. So now it's time to introduce our three fabulous guests in a row and uh we'll be starting off with uh i don't know let's play this all righty coming up Johnny Emmerman is a 34-year-old, has fought testicular cancer at the age of 26, and then again at the age of 28. He grew up in suburban Detroit, treated at, I can't even pronounce it, Karambanos and the University of Michigan Cancer Center, moved to Chicago in 29 in 2005, where he lives today, Johnny, and a group of survivors created the one-on-one peer support, highly aspired, God-level organization called Emmerman Angels which matches thousands of fighters and survivors every single year. Everman Angels was featured in the Wall Street Journal on October 2010. How did they not know about this? And it won a Jefferson Award. Did it win a Wheezy Award? All right. Sage Bolte. <laughs> here to talk about sex, as always. She's an oncology counselor for Life with Cancer, a nonprofit program in Northern Virginia. She provides individual and family counseling and facilitates cancer support groups, presents at local and regional national conferences, and she just finished her PhD, where her research explores the impact of cancer and its treatments on the young adult's sexual self. And finally, Tamika Felder is an award-winning television producer and correspondent. After a diagnosis of advanced 
cervical cancer in 2001 at the age of 25. She used her experience to help educate other women about ways to prevent it. Founder of Tamika and Friends, a national nonprofit dedicated to the cervical cancer awareness movement. Her inspiring story has been featured in numerous media outlets, and she was honored in 2006 with the Presidential Leadership Award at the Kennedy Center by Women in Government. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show rock stars, Sage Bolte, Tamika Felder, and Johnny Emmerman. Hi. Hello, people. Hello. What's going on? What's hey, happening? Guys. Now, uh, I've, met, I've met Dr. Bolte and Johnny Emmerman before, but who's the other guest we have on tonight? Oh, she, please, you know me very well. <laughs> our, she's our token cervical cancer survivor. <laughs> oh, Tamika, yes, we've met. How are you, pumpkin? I'm great, honey bunny. I've met uh, Johnny. Uh, I have not met Sage or Tamika, so I'm very thrilled to meet you, uh, at least through our voices here. One day for me. And, this is, I, and I love this part. I love the introduction, too, because it's also the part where we get to rip off really cheesy 80s music and not pay any royalties for it. Yes. Nice. Yes. Yes. Fair use, Zach. Thank you, government. For, for, for our, for our That's good, because I'll be dancing guests. with myself through this whole show. We get to give them bad Eye of the Tiger mo- music for our esteemed guests. But oh, that was great. We, we sh- they shut up anyway, which we're grateful for. Well, let's get right down to brass taxes. We are here to talk about potentially uncomfortable topics, but potentially and and extremely relevant topics when it comes to the young adult cancer movement, the issues of sexuality, intimacy, dating, relationships. Clearly, I remember, and just as a point of fact to our listeners out there, that um, I remember when we first came out with the ideas for topics for the OMG Summit, I seeded them to like a few dozen people saying, does anyone want to do this or this or this or this? And the very first person to write back that they wanted to be on the panel for sex and relationships was Johnny. And for someone who is so busy with so many things going on, he gets an email saying Matt wants him for a sex show, and he, 10 seconds later, an email comes back, count me in, bro, with <laughs> 75 O's in the bro. <laughs> and a B-Well number one. <laughs> Do you guys have that Be Well Number One clip? This ever moment is brought to you by Everman Angel. Be Well Number One. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. Thanks a lot of flirt flatter. So let's let's. So I was talking. We had a conversation before with the three of you, and it's three very interesting and different perspectives on the relationship we have with sex and intimacy going through a cancer experience. Johnny, you're male. Tamika, you're female. You both had <laughs> cancer in a, in in the genital areas. And Sage is a sex counselor who works with young adults in issues of sex and intimacy. So there's a great, there's a great sort of um, offering that each of you bring to the table here with this conversation. So why don't we just get started and let's let's just talk about with Tamika first. Why don't you tell us your story? Cervical cancer, clearly a potentially taboo subject for many women around the country. It is preventable, but it brings together a whole stigma. Talk a little about your experience and what's going on these days. Well, for me, when I was diagnosed with 
cervical cancer, it was in 2001, so there really wasn't a lot of support for young adults. And social networking has really changed the game with how young people interact. And in the young adult community, it's very important. So there's things that when you have a gynecological cancer or anything in the genital tract, life changes, your sexual life changes. Not only that, in order to have good sex, you have to feel good about yourself, your body, and be confident in what you're doing. And we all know with radiation, chemotherapy, there comes different things. But even with gynecological cancers, there's some cancers where you have internal radiation, which when you have external and internal together plus chemotherapy and you get half of your vagina removed for it, 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 it makes for things to be very difficult. Um, when I first started this journey, this was definitely not something that I wanted to talk about with the masses. I'm definitely comfortable talking with my girlfriends. But the more survivors I met, I realized it was a very serious problem. And in order for me to learn more, I had to talk more. And in having those conversations with survivors, I learned more. I learned how to talk to my doctor. I learned how to seek out help of someone like Sage. You know, you think when you're in the hospital and you're this young kid, you don't want to talk to the social worker or anyone else. You're like, God, I don't want to talk about that. But you need to talk about it because it's something so important. You know, we, we, we are sexual beings. We need to have good sex. We need to have lasting relationships after it and I'm all about talking about it and letting people know this is what happens to your body and this is what you got to do to it to fix it what would you say was your was your really your greatest um, challenge or your greatest issue Tamika um, dating again after cancer I was in a relationship when I was diagnosed then um, got out of it and so there's that comfort it's that comfort of being with someone who knows you before cancer they know your body before cancer, so then it's that learning curve. You're like, okay, so they, they they'll they'll be understanding, they'll work with you through it. Then when that relationship dissolved, it was very hard. So you're out there. For me, I was out there again dating. You know, it's like, ooh, it's the awkward conversation of telling someone I had cancer, then telling them it's a cancer by which now I can't have kids and it's difficult to have sex. Then there's this thing called atrophy where the vagina shrinks. So if you don't have sex in a while, it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. No smart comments, Jack. <laughs> I'm sitting on my microphone. I'm not saying a word. But seriously, it's one of those things, and you guys all know that I am so passionate about this because you can have good sex again after cancer, but you have to be willing to do the homework. You have to be willing to do the research, and you have to be willing to have open, frank, and honest conversations, and you've got to get back on the saddle again. That's the only way to make it work. And did you, Tamika, talk about, did your relationship um, end, because this is a show about sex and relationships as well, did the relationship ending have anything to do with your diagnosis on, on either one of your ends, or no? Was well, it was a very big part of it, and I'm not saying, you know, he's a great guy, things happen, but when you're young, you're in your 20s, all this other stuff, you know, you want to have sex, you want to be intimate with each other, but sometimes it's so painful, you just can't do it, and it's one of those things like, get away from me, then everything else becomes painful. You know, you grow apart, there's that distance, and you try to close it up, but it keeps becoming wider and wider and wider, and you want to be intimate with the person you love, but when it's physically painful, it's very hard. Yeah. 
Are there any issues for you now, these um, many years out, in terms of the physical pain, or no? You were just saying if you just go for a length of time. Um, yeah, when you go for a length of time, and this is definitely so if for people who've, you know, had part of their hoo-ha removed. <laughs> you, the hate you know. <laughs> hoo-ha, yeah. vagina, coochie, whatever you oh, want to call it. You know, the issues that you have to work through. For me, I'm single again. So Oh, you are? I'm single again. You know, All right, Tamika, my number is 203. <laughs> that, that engagement ended. But in all seriousness, this time in dating, I'm empowered. I know what I have to do. I know the conversations that need to be had. I also know the things that I need to bring forth to the table. And also, I'm a 30, almost 35. I'll be 35 next next month. You're a woman, so I know what I want out of a relationship. I know not only the love I deserve, but I also know the kind of intimate relationships that I want. And it's very important for cancer survivors and our patients to feel empowered so that they can get what they want out of their sexual health. So let's turn this over to Johnny and flip the coin. Obviously, Johnny, testicular cancer, clearly one of the more sensitive uh, areas of the body that get cancer, especially when it comes to dating and fertility and, and relationships and, and disclosure. So, And you had it twice, but you still have one ball left. Talk us through that. I, I absolutely will. Before I even get into my story and a little bit of what I think as a young adult uh, survivor, I want to just give uh, recognition for a few moments for Tamika. I, I love Tamika before, but listening to how articulate you are, Tamika, and your experience in opening up your cancer fight help other people it's a beautiful beautiful thing and you know I, I, I get emotional about it just hearing you talk it really is and I, I honestly believe that people like Tanika who is a gift to the cancer world by sharing her story to empower other people to educate and teach you're helping so many people Tanika is where she is and able to do that because she has stepped forward to share and to open up and to connect with others and to, and to share stories and I really believe that we as young adult survivors, you want to talk about sex, you want to talk about intimacy, you want to talk about these deep fundamental issues that we all go through as challenges, the way we find peace and the way we learn and how to help each other is by talking to each other and by connecting with each other and sharing with each other. And Tamika, you are a living, walking, perfect example of that. So I just want to give a moment and say hats off. I mean, you're so articulate. I love you. Thank you. You know I'm a crybaby, so I'm sitting here tearing up. (laughs) But really, you know, at first it was embarrassing to do this, but it's totally worth it. So uh, I love you. Thank you. He's trying to steal my woman. She is a gift. She is a gift. She is a gift. Yeah. Johnny, I saw her first. Yeah. I'm sensing a hookup here right on the show. <laughs> oh, Tamika. Be well, number one. <laughs> anyway. It is the truth. I, I just want to say that that is the absolute truth. And it makes me happy to hear someone so at peace with the deepest, maybe the most difficult things to talk about. And I think the lesson here that you know, Zachary and Buffard and the whole crew and Lisa opening up to everybody is the power of us talking about this, of sharing, of, of being okay to meet another young adult survivor and ask the hard questions. 
Absolutely. You know, the more you do that, the more we share, the more we learn from each other. That's how we help everybody get to the peace, the peacefulness that everybody should have with all this. So I, I just want to. Do you make like cassette tapes we can listen to to go to sleep at night? I know, right? <laughs> I'm flattered by that. Listen, I didn't know my voice is that. Was like it's that, better but, than scribblings. But, I was just going to say. <laughs> actually, when I have trouble sleeping, I put on uh, the uh, CD of Tamika's Dr. Radio appearance, and that voice just puts me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnny, on to your balls. Back to my balls. Back Plural? Balls. By the way, one, one, one quick story. So, you know, Zachary and Buffard are at the Livestrong uh, Summit. Tamika and I were there, too. But, but when Buffard and Zachary were walking around, they found this in the Livestrong in Austin you know, their headquarters, they find this big, huge wooden globe that I guess Lance found at some art fair and bought. It's like the size of a person. And, uh, of course, I got a text message with a picture of this big wooden globe saying, Johnny, we found your nut, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I didn't forget that. I really enjoyed that. And, so and it's since evolved. Every time we see, like, a huge sphere of, of uh, some sort, we'll take a picture of it and tag it as Johnny's missing ball. Yeah, it's like finding Waldo. Right, <laughs> right. right. It's in Austin, Texas, if anyone's curious. Um, anyways, I, I, I do want to say this. You know, you're right. You, you take a guy who was 26, you take an 18-year-old kid, you take a 30-year-old kid. You know, testicular cancer is the number one most common young men's cancer. So it's standard operation. You get the cancer, you're going to have the testicle cut out. Um, now, what we've learned with Emmerman Angels and one-on-one peer-to-peer matching support is that under about 23, 24 it just seems to us and the people that hundreds of testicular survivors that we've seen, um, the young guys, the teenagers, the early 20s, they actually get the prosthetic testicle, and the ones over 24 or so actually don't. Uh, I was 26, and I actually fit into this, what I'm saying. I did not want the prosthetic testicle. There's no right way or there's no wrong way, but I will say this. The logic is the younger guys are less experienced. You know, maybe they haven't been with a girl yet before and they haven't had a girl go down their pants yet and they think they're 17 or in high school, will a girl ever want to touch me because I have one ball, not two. And let me just call a spade a spade here and tell it like it is just because I'm 34 now and I've been through this before and, and I'm a little bit older than some of the younger guys. The younger guys need to know that girls do not care about your balls at all, not even a little, not even like 5%. Yeah. They don't care. They don't notice it. I mean, even if I was 17 and I was with a girlfriend at the time and I didn't tell her, I honestly think it would be months, maybe years before the girl even noticed. That's how similar it is afterwards. I chose not to get the ball, not to get the fake testicle, and I'm really happy with my decision. But it's a personal decision. No way it's right or wrong. But, but young adult testicular survivors or young adult testicular cancer fighters making that decision at the time really need to understand, do it, get the ball because you want the ball. Don't do it because you think the girl wants you to have the ball. Can I say That's something? my I best advice. I didn't even know. I mean, and I'm a breast cancer survivor, and I chose to have reconstruction, but I didn't even know that you could, I feel incredibly ignorant saying this, have a reconstructed ball. I mean, they actually, yeah. what, what, is, what yeah, do they, they actually make that of? That's great, uh-huh. Lisa, that you, uh, that you mentioned that because I'll tell the story. I remember the surgery right before my surgeon looked at me and said, look, this is really easy to give you a prosthetic testicle. It's a plastic prosthetic testicle. It's really easy. I'm going to be in there anyway. I'm going to cut the bad one out. You're going to have one left. So my left one's gone. My right one is still there. And he said, look, we're going to weigh it. We can measure it. We're going to come up with a prosthetic testicle that fits your exact size. And what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to inject, we're going to take the bad one out, 
We're going to stick the plastic one in. We're going to take three little staples, or stitches actually, three stitches, and stitch it to the inside of the scrotum, like inside of the sac, so it's anchored down. That's how they do it. They anchor it down because it can't just be floating around in there. But it's stitched to the inside, so it only can, you know, it's stuck to one one surface area and just kind of moves around. But they said it would be exactly the same. No one could tell the difference. It would feel the same to the touch on the outside. And that I wouldn't have to tell anyone unless I wanted to. And I'll tell you, I immediately looked at my mom who was right there, my older brother, and I was like, why would I want that? Like, that's not sure if I personally felt it wasn't purifying my body. And I had cancer in my body. I knew chemo was starting right away. Because first you cut the testicle out, then you bank sperm, because there's a good chance you can't have children on your own, and then you're going to start chemo. So I'm like, wait, I got chemo to, like, get all the bad stuff out? Why would I put this back in my body? That doesn't, it's not kosher. That's not, you know, uh, it's not natural. That's how I felt. And, um, but here's something important point to know. Tomorrow, if I changed my mind and I felt more comfortable with my girlfriend, I could go in tomorrow and have it implanted in. And you can always make that decision later. So sure, young adults can, need to know yeah, that. Like you can with breast cancer as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um, we should get we should get the, the, the doc in on this conversation um, too. Cause Dr. Uh, Sage Bowlby? Yes. That's kind of uh, weird, but it sounds kind of cool at the same time. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious to know, like, what, I guess just as a broad question, um, outside of what um, our other two guests have been discussing, mm-hmm. if you wanted to uh, jump in and say what are some other common themes uh, that come up for you and are they specific to, I imagine they would be, married couples, you know, single people, um, I don't know, I, I think probably gay, straight is the same, um, but if there's any issues uh, there, if there's kind of one overriding issue um, for the different types of patients that you see, or they all you know, have I a think problem. Yeah, I think I think there the some I mean Tamika and Johnny are always well spoken and um are passionate and open and I always appreciate that as a as a professional on the outside looking into your world. It makes it so much easier for me to help others because you're so forthcoming with your stories. So I appreciate both of you. And th- I think they captured a lot of what it is that um you know, not just I think the biggest thing is when you've had chemotherapy and radiation, number one, many of the physicians aren't focused on talking to you about your sexual health after cancer. And during treatment, a lot of times people aren't really interested in sex, and I get that. But after you finish treatment is when all the other consequences of treatment start to come up, and that's usually when people are knocking on my door. It's not during treatment necessarily, although some people may coming come in trying to figure out, you know, do I get a prosthetic or not, as Johnny was talking about. And usually if they're struggling, I'll say, why don't you wait? There's no rush to make a decision now. Um, But I think the overwhelming um, issues that come up are really post-treatment, when life is settling back down and Mm -hmm. now you're trying to figure out what the hell life is supposed to look like as a survivor. And that's when all the issues of, okay, everything's changed in my body, as Tamika described, you know, vaginally for a lot of survivors, whether you have a gynecological cancer or not, there is major, major changes just from chemotherapy and many young women are thrown into a medical menopause and that can change things and not many people are told about that. And for young men, testosterone levels can change. In fact, we saw that with transplant that some 
it wasn't in the younger generation that they were looking at. They were actually looking at just, um, in general, the male population getting transplants, but testosterone levels were seen to be lower, not in a huge percent, but in some. And so that can affect sex drive, plus depression, plus fatigue, which are both really common in cancer survivors and sometimes hard to differentiate. Is this fatigue? Is this depression? Am I not interested in sex because I feel bad about my body? Am I not interested in sex because um, I just have had a a libido change because of the chemotherapy and the hormone changes I've had? And on top of that, um, if you are already in a relationship, there may be strains. But typically, um, you know, if you were a strong couple beforehand, you're going to find ways to communicate and work it out throughout the process. Um, if you had a craft relationship before or you weren't great at communication, this isn't going to suddenly make it all better, and it's not going to be water under the bridge. It's not going to make communication easier. So I think that's also when couples come in struggling um, is when communication was poor before, and now they're trying to figure out how to um, improve some of the consequences of treatment. And then for people that are single, I think the biggest challenge, as Tamika was talking about, was really disclosure. How do I, how do I talk about... Um, my cancer experience and and is somebody going to reject me because of it and there is no magic answer for that if there is a person that's going to reject you for it my response typically is then I guess you weeded out the one that you didn't want right Um, yeah yeah. and ultimately in the end love is love you find somebody who truly loves you and none of that none of it None of it matters. Nothing else yeah and and I think you know Tamika commented on you know when sex was so painful and it's not just you know for women again with gynecological cancers but a lot of women and um, you know, one of the things I always challenge people that come in, whether they're single or coupled, um, is you're going to have to get creative and and kind of sort of um, grieve what was and create a new. That means the new can be just as great, if not better. It just you're going to have to give yourself permission to recreate what you want it to look like and work around some of the challenges and changes. And some people can't ever have penetrative sex again, and so. They find other ways to get pleasure through oral sex or manual manipulation or through using toys or other ways that they can um, enhance their sexual response with themselves or with their partner. And there's a question in the chat room asking you, Sage, um, typically does, and I guess we can all, anybody who's a survivor who's some years out can answer this, but does it, or maybe it's different for different people, does the libido go back to normal or at least um, sort of back after the post-treatment? Post-treatment, um, yeah, I see that. Um you know what, that is such a hard question, and it's really individual. I can give a general statement, and, and I think generally um, libido changes, especially for women. I think for guys it doesn't seem to be as long-term impacted after treatment. What I found in my study was that guys actually had a lot of sexual distress um, around not being able to perform as they used to because fatigue was really weighing on them. Um, so that changes. It's not necessarily that they weren't as interested, but they were tired, and then their partner wasn't as understanding, which created more distress. But for women, it really depends on if you've been put into a medical menopause or not. And if you've been put into a medical menopause, your libido won't go back to what you thought it was, but you can still have a great libido. It's just going to be different. It may not be that physical initial arousal, like when you see someone that turns you on and you suddenly notice that you're getting excited and you're getting wet. That probably will be different, where you might start having thoughts about how you're attracted to them, think about the sexual thoughts, and it may take more time, but the libido is going to be there. You're still going to have desire, and certainly um, relationship issues, how you feel about yourself, all of that plays into your libido. Sure. Have any of you had um, um, issues with, and shifting to the relationship component of this a little bit, um, 
in terms of um, either starting or I would say, Sage, how much have you heard about this? And I would certainly ask Tamika or Johnny to uh, jump in if you've had experience with this with relationships. The psychological component of, of, of having a relationship with somebody um, who has cancer, I think there might be, is there a type where um, you might, as a cancer, somebody who's going through cancer, gravitate towards somebody who accepts you because they do accept you for having the cancer and that sort of confusion that perhaps um, you wouldn't necessarily be in love with them had you not had the cancer and that sort of confusion about what is real love and, and you know, you want to sort of um, love somebody for all of who they are and not just because they might love you with the cancer. You know what I'm saying? I think there might be all sorts of shades of people who might want to step in as a knight in shining armor um, and kind of... That absolutely happens. Yeah. No, it absolutely happens. I um, The girls that I'm in a support group with, we kind of um, talk on a regular basis. We chat about love, relationships, just life after cancer. And there are times when I've been in it myself where you date someone and, you know, without the cancer it may not have been someone that you dated and you try to make the relationship work because you feel like you can't get better. Like this person will accept you because you can't have children or you know, will accept your hang-ups and everything else. And, and and that's what I was talking about earlier. You have to get the love that you define as the best for you. You deserve wonderful, pleasurable love and sex and someone that's going to be your better counterpart, you know? Right, right. You shouldn't settle. You shouldn't settle, even though it's it, – it, but I think that's a really hard thing for a lot of people um, – to overcome if you're particularly nervous about, um, you know, having having somebody accept you, um, yeah. which is, you know, but you're the same, you're the same person that you were before the illness, and the illness doesn't define you. Right. And for some people, they're not the same person after the illness. They're very sure. different. Mm-hmm. It, 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 right, certainly changed by the experience, but I mean, all the core and good qualities about who you were before are, right. are, right. are there, or perhaps even bolstered, or even more right. so. Yeah, I think when when people come and start talking about that, I, I call it settling. You know, if you're if if you're if you're settling because you're afraid somebody else won't love you because of your cancer history, and you found that one person who does, you know, I I do go back to what do you need to work through to recognize that you have all that you had before? Kind of like you were just saying that you're the same person before, but and some people are even greater than they were prior, as Tamika was saying. Sure. So, I think analyzing what it is, why you're making that decision. Other people say, you know, I would have never been attracted to them before, but my priorities changed, and things mm-hmm. that he brings or she brings to the table are things now that I think are extremely important. And so, no, before cancer I wouldn't have chosen them, but now, absolutely. And I think that is a healthy response. It's not necessarily settling. That's a, a, a you've learned from whatever you needed to learn from through this experience and created a great um, choice. Right. This is a this is definitely a, a a great discussion. You guys are covering a lot of good points. One quick personal story just about me. You know, I I was single at 26 going into chemo and treatments. Definitely got banged up, of course, like we all do during treatments. Um, you know, my self-esteem was the lowest point it's ever been in my life, clearly, at the end of uh, of treatments, trying to build myself back up, figure out who I was, 
within two months, I started dating someone uh, who at the time, I, I just wanted to anchor into anything that was stable. You know, a single, you know, you're lonely, you're sick, your friends are going out, you're not, you don't feel like yourself, you're not sure who you are, your self-concept is rattled, you look different, I gained 40 pounds, I hadn't been to the gym in a year and a half. I mean, everything's off, as we know, as young adult survivors. And I started dating this girl who was... And the ones who know me already, uh, I like people. Is that fair to say, Zachary? <laughs> you I love like people. <laughs> I think that's the understatement social. of the century. I thought this story Thank was going to lead to how you met Brad Ludden. <laughs> <laughs> I love Brad Ludden. Just saw him last week. He was just in Chicago. But really, the, the story is, is that I met someone who is very much of an introvert. But at the time when I was so sick and I was nauseous and I'm watching movies all day and I'm sitting on the couch all day and I couldn't be as social, it was a great fit. And then about six months, a year go by, and I start to feel better, and I get back in the gym, and I get my old personality back and who I am innately and want to be social again, and I realize how polar opposite we were and basically grew completely out of the relationship, looked at it and said, this is a very nice person. She is wrong for me, and I'm wrong for her. And everybody was just the wrong fit. But I think the young adult, my, my point being for the young adult survivors that may pick up something here and some knowledge is that be aware during treatment and just post-treatment, you are rattled. We're all pretty banged up emotionally and physically, of course, too. And, you know, take your time. You know, don't rush into things right away because there is going to be a process in the next year or so, which I call the refraction period, where, like, light goes through this object called cancer and maybe goes in a 30-degree angle instead of a straight line. You're slightly the same person, the same beam of light, but you're on a little bit different path in life. Clearly, my life has proven that. You know, what I do every day in the cancer world, I could never do Emmerman Angels if I didn't know what it's like to go through this at 26 or 28 and see a need. But the key is in relationships, expect changes. Expect physical, emotional changes. It's a very unstable time. So it's not bad to get in a relationship, but, but, but take your time. Don't rush into anything. I, mean, I learned that. Uh, I learned that. That's what I really learned my, myself. You know, kind of the hard way. I had to break up with this person. It wasn't. It wasn't fun. But at the time, that's what I felt like I needed. I needed something to anchor to because my life was so unstable, and I just wanted someone in my life that was stable. Yeah. I think that's. You know, mentioning. And if I can chime in really quick, Johnny, when you said, you know, that year, and I always say, cancer kind of takes a minimum of two years of your life, one to treatment, and then the next for kind of spiritual, emotional, and physical healing, and we're lucky if that happens in a year. Often it's more than that, especially for young adults, and it is true that no matter what, as we age, our ideas about relationships change anyways, so that does complicate it, um, and giving yourself time through that healing process is absolutely critical. Yeah, well, good point. Matthew, you want to toss something uh, in there? Well, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, that I was one of these people. I'm, yes, I'm Fourteen and a half years out, and I just had, you know, two little beautiful babies with my wife, and I've been married for five years. But yeah, when I was twenty-one and I went through this, you know, I had brain cancer, so they're, they're digging in your head with an ice cream scoop, and God knows what you're gonna come out on the other side as. But the intensive toxicity of the radiation therapy that I had left me impotent and completely barren, and I had lost so much weight, I lost all my hair, I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. And there were no social services for young adults back then. So, the, the you know, as a quick dovetail is, you know, we want to ensure that every young adult who goes through this is aware of groups like ours and Tamika's and Johnny's and Sage, 
that, that they are cradled with opportunities to not have to go through what I went through 14 and a half years ago. But, yes, it took me three years to date. It took me two years to become, you know, not impotent anymore. It took me a year to eat solid food so I couldn't even go on dates with people. I couldn't be social with friends. And it was incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly unfortunate, incredibly not okay. And, yeah, I mean, I've reconciled it. I've moved forward and time healed and I'm still here and we're talking about it. And I think that is really the value that people can take away, that no one should have to go through this anymore because there are so many voices out there that are advocating on your behalf and that it's not okay if this still happens. How's that? Amen, brother. Very well said. Yeah, very, yeah, well. very well said. But, Matt, you have me and you have Jess and you have twins. <laughs> I, have, I have two kids. <laughs> In that Jack. order. I have, two, I have three children. I have two twins and Jack. It takes a village to raise Jack, actually. It does. It takes a village to feed Jack. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, you know, I went through a period of time where I didn't want to have children because I was afraid. What kind of world am I bringing them up into with cancer? And Jess and I have had numerous. My wife Jess and I have had numerous conversations about this. And at the end of the day, you know, you have to live your life and be the best you can be every step of the way. And this is the next step in our lives: is to have these beautiful little children who we're going to care for. And we're going to cradle and coddle and, and cater to as best as we can and bring them up in a world, hopefully, that is better than the one that we were brought up in. And that's the circle, and that's where I'm at in my life, and that's uh, the blessing that I think we can all take within our space in the universe. Yeah, very well very well said. You know, and, and, and Matt, by you opening your story as well, by everyone here, Tamika, you know, the, if there's one message I think everybody takes away from listening to this show it's the power of working together, the power of sharing with other young adult survivors like you, being willing to ask the questions, being willing to share the answers by working together, talking about it, opening up. It's, in my mind, the number one way for all of us to heal and to be happy and comfortable in who we are and in each other and help each other. It's so, yeah, and it's so interesting because so much, um, and a lot has been, said, has been said of this too, but... Um, so much pressure, of course, in particular, is put on the young adult community in terms of body image. And um, there's so, you know, plastic surgery and Botox and airbrushing out models on magazine covers. And um, it's just, it really, for, for all that, I mean, I'm actually ultimately heartened um, as I roam through the young adult community to see uh, how much that really can <laughs> go out the window, um, you know, when you meet, and, and how irrelevant that can all become um, when you meet somebody who's a survivor who just so, uh, you know, glows in every possible way and and it projects such a fierce attitude because people, despite all of that pressure, I think that's put on all of us to, and, phys, you know, to look physically our best, um, I think people follow when you lead and project a certain light and glow about yourself and and all of that you know ultimately ultimately can vanish despite all that pressure would you guys agree or have anything else to add to that i'm not a survivor but i can speak as a professional just you know how important as all all of you have been talking um you know it is so critical that you make us myself included the professionals aware of what your needs are aware of what we can be talking about and 
I can't read your mind. So if you're struggling in an area, I feel comfortable bringing it up. But unfortunately, a lot of people still aren't. And it is going to take this movement, the young adult movement that's happening, to really get people speaking. And you all are your best advocates. I know it sucks that you have to go and ask somebody about vaginal dryness and that they don't talk to you about it. It does. It absolutely sucks. And it sucks that you have to go and have a conversation about relationships. But if, if you all can advocate for yourself, I can do my job better. And really and truly, I think you all have the power to create change in how we do this. Sage, is, there, um, is your work in onco-sexology, I just made that up, is, is, <laughs> is that, I like that term, onco-sexology. Yes. Is is that a subspecialty of of social work or is that something like how can we, you know, in a perfect world get a you working at every cancer center in the country that services young adults? I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's sort of a rhetoric there, but is that is, is this pedagogy, you know, part of curriculum when you're training? Um no, not in every school. So you know, there is, there is usually, at least at any comprehensive cancer center, there has to be a social worker on staff. Now, I can tell you from the Association of Oncology Social Workers, which is a group I belong to, we really do value the sexual health of persons and know that there is a huge impact on that. And I think they are doing a much better job at really getting information out. So at the conference this week in Arizona, there's probably six or seven workshops on sexual health during and after cancer that we're trying to teach people about how to talk about sex, how to address it, et cetera. So there is more of a movement towards that. But as far as getting, you know, a specialist in um, sex therapy or um, sexual consequences of treatment, they're not, no, they're not as easily accessible. There are a couple places that you can go. There's one called ASECT, which is A-A-S-E-C-T dot org. And that is the um, American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. You can find someone who is certified and um, who feels comfortable addressing either chronic illnesses or cancer. And if they don't have the information, they will find out. They'll speak to your oncologist. And there are a lot of good people out there willing to talk about it, but they aren't as easily accessible in the cancer world. So how you make it happen in the cancer world is start talking about it. I'm hoping to do more research so that we can show that that there's a big gap that there, there needs to be a movement where we include sexual health as part of the kind of initial assessment as well as all the follow-up visits. I think at any of the, at many of the um, survivorship clinics that are coming up, um, they're starting to recognize the need of having somebody who is very comfortable and knowledgeable in um, cancer and sexuality. So that's starting to come up. So again, that's where you can use your voices um, and, and advocate that somebody be on staff who's knowledgeable and educated around the sexual health issues. Most of us have to seek that education out on our, uh, out for ourselves. It wasn't necessarily part of our curriculum. And I guess one of the questions that are coming up in the chat room, you know, clearly just because you are the oncosexpert, there are always going to be multiple scenarios that are going to be equally challenging to deal with. Uh, we're getting questions in the chat room about what do you do with young adults who are metastatic or living with a chronic condition where there really is no end in sight, that they just want to have a normal or some baseline or some anchor of stability. Right. That's a huge weighted question that could take, like, an entire show. But, you know, I because I work specifically, one of my jobs at Life with Cancer is working with um, women, young and older women with metastatic breast cancer. Um, you know, metastatic disease does change the game, but a lot of people now with the way we do medicine, you can have really good quality of life. And part of having good quality of life is having a sexual health relationship and a healthy relationship, whether it's a sexually healthy relationship with yourself or with a partner. And so... Um, 
you know, if you, I know that the challenge is constantly being on treatment, and that's where I come back to kind of redefining your new normal. So maybe you can't have sex the way you used to have sex, whether it's with a partner or with yourself, but you can have amazing sexual intimacy at end of life, um, during treatment, post-treatment, and with metastatic disease. Um, I tell a story often of a nurse I worked with at Johns Hopkins whose husband was dying uh, um, from brain cancer, and she said the last few weeks of uh, his life were their most intimate time in marriage when she would bathe him, and they would lock eyes, and he lost his ability to speak, but he, his eyes said everything to her, and she said it was the most intimate and romantic time they had throughout their entire marriage because of their willingness to be vulnerable with one another. So, again, it goes to say it is about being vulnerable and willing to be open and redefining your expectations of what sexual intimacy and intimacy looks like. But you can have great sex with metastatic disease, with advanced disease, and even at end of life. It just goes back to how you define it. Wow. Good answer. Um, can, can we uh, – that's, that's, that's an intense story. Can, can we back up and, and – um, Maybe if there's some folks cause, uh, who just would like some practical advice or hear how, maybe Tamika, how you handled this. Going back to that perennial question of, you know, telling a partner if you're single and you are having a date. Tamika, do you want to volunteer sort of what exactly you might say or when you might say it or does it different? Does, do you have sort of something that you <laughs> have in your head of, of, of what you're going to tell somebody? Yeah, and, and I don't want people to think that this just happened. You know, I came out and I was just like, rah, rah, I'm going to have yeah. conversations. It was very <laughs> awkward, very hard, very emotional. There there were times when I was just giving up, like, I'm just not ever going to do it again. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to date, anything like that. And, and it's not my personality. I'm a people person. I love being around people. I'm boy crazy. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things, like, and let me say this before I get into that really quick. I learned this from uh, Hilda Hutchison, who is um, she's an OBGYN, but she's also a sex therapist. And one of the things she said, she said, everybody wants to be good in bed, but you can't have good sex if you're sitting there in your head wondering, I wonder what they're thinking. Are they enjoying it? Are they doing it? Because your body isn't relaxed, and so you can't enjoy it. And a lot of times when we get out of treatment and we get ready to have sex again, we're so worried about what our partners think. And it's a natural thing that we just can't enjoy it and you have to do it. In terms of dating, really don't even think about it. Start having conversations and ease into it. You know, my thing was I'm a flirt. I'm a natural flirt. Anybody will, who's Oh, really? <laughs> will tell you that. I, I'm Southern. What can I say? I just naturally flirt. And I'm a people person, so I'm a talker. You don't flirt. You mislead. <laughs> but, but you really start those conversations. <laughs> you start those conversations with, if you like sports, as corny or cliche as it sounds, Start out by having those conversations. If there's a, some a athlete that you're attracted to, bring those playful things in. Once you get confident enough talking about intimacy, then bring those things. Okay, if they know that you've had cancer, say, okay, well, you know that I'm, I don't know, let's say three years out of treatment. Then you can start by saying, you know, where are we going to take this relationship? If you're ready to move it to the next level, just say these are the things. For me, and I'll say this, I can't have sex without lube. I need to have some lube. Most and it women was one... can't, Tamika. Most well, women well, can't. Right. It's okay, Tamika. Don't feel bad because I can't have sex without Skype. <laughs> but 
but it's one of those things where people have to understand if they're dating me, nothing is going to happen unless there's a tube of something nearby. It's not going to happen. And that, honestly, has been the hardest thing for me. This this last relationship I had, which was my, like, really the first real relationship I had out of cancer, we were so close to marriage and you know he was very understanding of the babies and everything else and it was just very hard for him because even when we had a weekend getaway it became this routine it's like oh if you don't pack it you don't have it with you you have to go to the store and even though for some people it may seem small the people in the cancer world for this man who had no knowledge except for you know yeah people get cancer but not being so close to someone who had cancer especially a young person, it was very difficult for him. So you have to kind of find that even playing field of where you can talk about those things. And it's Would different have, for everybody. And, and could you, and do you encourage, and um, if, again, anybody feel free to jump in here, but would you say, Tamika, um, encourage him to obviously, like, have your partner be involved? Like, okay, you help me apply the loop, or whatever it is, like whatever you need to have um, – to have sex, make it something that, you know, the two of you can do together? Yeah, and even when I was having, like, a really hard issue with it, I was like, oh, my God, I love this man. He actually wants to marry me. So I ended up talking to my oncologist about it. I, I, I'm so close to my oncologist, and he's actually getting ready to move to California, so I, I'm going through basically another breakup. And <laughs> my oncologist did the best thing ever. He told me, he said, bring him in. Bring him in. And so I invited him you know, my boyfriend at the time, and this is a new breakup, so it's very hard for me, but I invited him to go to the doctor, and it actually went very well, and after that, you know, it seemed like he was more understanding, and things were getting better, but once that space grew in between us, it was just very hard, so that's another thing you can do. Have your significant other go with you to a doctor's appointment, and if the doctor or nurse can't talk to them, maybe you guys, you know, um, see someone my boyfriend asked for us to go see a therapist at the time I was like it's not crazy I'm not going to see someone because we're not engaged all this other stuff and it's something that I really really regret because he was really struggling with it and I was so focused on am I doing this right can I keep him can I do this that I should have taken those part of his feelings into consideration also and gone with him to see someone but I wasn't ready for that but now I am you know yeah, yeah. Before we wrap up, I wanted there's because there's a few folks in Sage. I think you probably I've seen you've written in here in the chat room here who really yeah. just want to talk about post cancer, dealing yeah. with the physical changes in your body, the scars, the weight gain, mm -hmm. how to feel sexy again. Yeah. Do you want to just address that, Sage? Sure, I will do my best. And it's I think again a, a, a that could be a whole hour talk. But um, you know the, the where you need to start is with yourself. And um, again, I don't want to minimize the um, just the amount of physical changes that people, especially women, have to go through um, from treatment itself, from the loss of hair and pubic hair to all the scars. And so typically when somebody comes and sees me, the first thing I do is we talk about um, how do we get comfortable in our body again in spite of all the changes. And that starts with really and truly starting to touch your body again, accepting your body as it is, telling yourself positive things. You know, if we wake up in the morning and the first thing we say in the mirror is, oh, my God, look at you this morning. This is disgusting. 
that sets the tone for the entire day. And even it feels like you kind of have to BS your way through the day by telling yourself something positive, eventually you will start to believe it, and your mind and your body and your spirit will start to buy it as well. So if you wake up and the first thing in your mind is, oh, God, look at you today, instead challenge yourself to look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to do everything in my power I can to help my body heal and I'm going to do everything I can to love myself today. It may sound cheesy, but I swear I swear it works over time. And then not just telling yourself positive things, but trying to find things that you can do to enhance how you feel about yourself, whether it's putting on something that helps you feel a little more comfortable or sexy or going to the gym if exercise is important to you, finding little things. I mean, the fact of the matter is when you're going through treatment, you feel like crap anyways. So. Uh, you're going to need every little thing you can, if that's a perfume or um, a, a sweater that you love, something that helps you feel either more feminine or masculine that taps into that part. But really where it comes down to is getting in touch with your internal self and your internal spirit and starting to really look at how can I enhance how I feel about myself inside so that with all the external changes I can still feel confident about my body. But that takes time, and I don't think it can fully be embraced during treatment because you're having such trauma to your body. Right. So give yourself a break during treatment. And even as you Absolutely. come out of treatment, it's, 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 it's even just little things. I mean, you may not be able to go fully back to the gym for an hour, but I think even if you did, you know, ten five minutes. or ten minutes in your own home Absolutely. of something just to, you know, just to Absolutely. kind of lift your, your spirits a bit and your yourself. Yeah, and home. I say be gracious. I mean, I just, right. just if you can kind of make that your mantra to be gracious with yourself and be gracious with your body, you will find another path, and you will find a way to get back to where you're, where you need to be with your body. But it may, again, it may, it, it just may look different than what it was before, and that's not necessarily bad. And on that note, we actually have to close the show. But again, we could go hours and hours and hours and hours, and this is exactly the reason why we have you guys right here on the Stupid Cancer Show and coming to the OMG Summit very quickly in a week and a half. So I'm sorry to cut this short. We are out of time, but thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we will see you all on May 23rd. Thanks. This Thanks, has been guys. an amazing show. I learned a lot. I will tell you that. I talk to thousands of people with cancer every day. I learned a lot from Tamika and Sage and everybody here, and Lisa B., great questions. So thanks a lot. We're honored, honored to do this, and, and wonderful. Thanks so much, guys, for having us. All right. Tamika Felder, John Ehrman, and Sage Bolte, everybody. Good night. All righty, now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, the venerable Tamika Felder, Johnny Immerman, and Sage Bolte, Dr. Sage Bolte, Anna Brower, Amanda Freeman, Jade McKenzie, Paul Bancroft, and our studio audience next week's show. On Go Fertility, in our Survivor Spotlight, Caleb 
Egbuanu from Nigeria, young adult cancer advocate from Africa. It floats back. Dr. Leonard Sender, Dr. Karen Albritton, and Dr. Teresa Woodruff, three of the most preeminent young adult oncologists in the country. If you missed any of our previous shows, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or search for Stupid Cancer on the iTunes Store. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week live from the chemo deck. Jack Bufard, Lisa Bernhard, Amanda Freeman, Captain Stubby, and I wish you all a great week. Go to bed, Lindsay. Fokker out. It's an open smile.